I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Hi, everyone. Mind rolling back. I am Raghu. I am with Goshen, my old friend, Paley Ellison. And uh, so I just was saying, so great to see you again. It's been quite some time. Yes, it's wonderful to see you too. So what have you been up to in the interim, Goshen? Okay, (laughs) so, all right. So, you know, for those of you who don't know, Goshen, is from the Zen tradition and has a wonderful center in New York that does extraordinary. Why don't you just describe that a bit? Because even though people might remember, I mean, you guys are really doing something that's worth people knowing about. Yeah. So my husband and I, we co-founded the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, which is a educational nonprofit that is dedicated to transforming how we care for each other. And we do that through Zen practice, through direct care, and we've cared for over 100,000 people in the last 13 years. And we have education programs from foundations and contemplative care to bereavement support. And we do a lot of education of doctors and teaching in different integrated medicine fellowships and we mostly love to think about what's useful and how can we serve. And so that becomes less about our personalities and more about what's useful to people. And it's delightful. And actually this past year, we've been engaged with a nursing home and providing 80 hours of care on two floors and also providing resilience training that is based on the four noble truths and the eightfold path and so we're educating everyone from the doctors to the janitors all together and so they're learning together in a learning community for a whole year it's been amazing amazing Mm, yeah so for those of you out there and me might have been amongst them not currently but some time ago thinking those Zen people, 
they're in their little dojos hammering away at uh, their minds, okay? And leaving us to fend for ourselves, the little guys. See, this is not true. This is a story. <laughs> and Koshin and his uh, husband are absolutely exemplary of this. So, and uh, so, oh, wait, we're talking about um, Koshin's got a wonderful new book called Wholehearted. Here it is Wholehearted. And uh, slow down, help up, help out, and wake up. And uh, so there's a lot of great uh, prescriptions in here and great stories. So it's fun to read. Mm. I got to tell you, though, right away, <laughs> you know, what made me so happy. This is really crazy. Okay. I read in the book and you, you, it's a, the chapter around anger, right? And you go, yeah, just look at uh, Ray Donovan. I'm thinking, holy shit, Koshin watches Ray Donovan. I'm embarrassed to tell anybody that I've watched. I, I have actually. <laughs> it is so effing violent. It's unbelievable, right? And uh, what's the story you told in there? Oh, right. Tell the story it's about his wife and his reaction. That's <laughs> so great. Yeah, so he finds out that his wife has died of cancer and he goes into the family bar and beats up everybody. He just. His entire family. <laughs> and he's arrested. And it's like that. But it's so amazing to me, that scene, because it's so like how all of us do if we don't really look at what's arising and we become what's arising. And I felt such tenderness towards him. It's just like he just couldn't be with it at all and just was unleashing as opposed to the quality of anger that we can be with, which is can be so skillful and can be what brings us to activism or social change is saying no, but to learn how to work with it is an extraordinary possibility. Mm. So would you say that um, then watching Ray Donovan in particular might be a really great spiritual practice then, right? <laughs> Totally. I mean, to me, what isn't, you know? And yeah, right. What isn't is right. <laughs> what isn't. And um, the other story that I tell about Ray Donovan in terms of, like, when we talk about, and you, um, it, um, it's actually, I uh, did a uh, podcast around uh, a talk Ram Dass gave, and he was speaking of, you really have to work on the psychological shit because the, your motivations for practice are usually skewed around ego. You want to get better at something. You want to be happier. You want to get shit. You want to be more powerful, especially the mindfulness thing, which is a whole other uh, axe to grind, really. And uh, so, um, yeah, dealing with, and I, we talk about this, and I talk about this with, with different people, dealing with, um, that stuff that we kind of put aside, you know, or we go, yeah, we don't have to deal with that. You know, the, the, the habitual patterns is one way to deal with them and meditation certainly is a positive way, but I think getting with the right people is also a positive thing. 
in other words, some therapy and so on. So all leading to this uh, Ray Donovan, at, I think the last episode, I don't know if you watched it or not, but after he's like, at one point he tries to commit suicide, he's so screwed up, and they get him a uh, a psychiatrist played by uh, Alan Alda, actually, he plays it really well. And he refuses his help until at the end of the last episode, after he's killed about 13 people, <laughs> for whatever reason, there's always a good reason. Um, you see him picking up his cell phone and he makes a call and on the screen comes the image of Alan as the therapist. And he says, are you ready? <laughs> yeah. I think at this time you might be ready. Right. <laughs> right. Oh God. It takes what it takes you know, yeah, really, for us to really arrive where we need to go. Hopefully not uh, everybody. It's not advised to go out and express yourself in that manner. Okay, uh, so um, you know what's really great? How the heck did you get His Holiness to write that fantastic um, thing for you? Okay, I'm just looking at it going. Oh, I mean, this this isn't a hey somebody write something up. His Holiness will sign it. This looks like he actually, uh, you know, he knows who you are and what you're talking about here. Well, he's been very supportive of our work from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm. very lovely. So he's, uh, he's, always, uh, he's written a manual for personal growth and change based on contemporary interpretation of Buddhist refuge and precepts, making it accessible to everyone, not just those interested in practicing Buddhism. And using anecdotes, quotes, and reflective questioning, he prompts us to become aware of the barriers we have erected around ourselves and suggests ways by which we can dismantle them, right? Isn't that, ain't that what it's all about? Um, but that's uh, a pretty high praise, and, and it sets you into the book knowing, okay, His Holiness has put the stamp of approval on this. This is so great, Koshi. Um, there's, um, there's something maybe you can talk about that I think is really important, and it's at the beginning of the book. And it's around the lone wolf phenomenon. And I think you had, you had a little story of meeting somebody, right? Taking a bus in Colorado or something. Tell that story. Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah, I was in my late teens and I was on a Greyhound bus. And I remember there was this person across from me who had a smiling bag, a smiling face bag. And I was sitting next to this woman, this wonderful lady and we were talking and she said oh are you a buddhist and i said oh yeah I'm buddhist and she said oh so who do you practice with and i gave a list i think at the time it was sharon salzberg and joseph goldstein and jack cornfield and all the great jewish buddhist teachers and uh and i she said well do you practice with one community in particular and i said oh no you know i'm a lone wolf and she said oh well do you know what the thing is about lone wolves i said no she said well a lone wolf is a sick wolf and you don't want to go near them because wolves are pack animals and i remember sitting there sitting back in my seat and thinking holy shit!" Whoa. 
And I just had really saw how I had used kind of spiritual practice as a way to kind of identify and use it to kind of bypass my fear of belonging and fear of vulnerability of like people really getting to know me. And it was a such a huge wake up call for me. And I felt so grateful to her too for taking a risk and really meeting me. Yeah. Yeah, she had real generosity, which you talk about uh, later as well. But the just the reality of what's going on, and you talk about this about with our culture and how uh, it's a weird situation with social media and the way that we isolate ourselves at the, kind of at the same time. You know, it's um, a really, really tough tight wire to walk upon because there's so much good and yet there's so much uh, negativity as well to to the way that we're living yeah how are you are you how are you talking to people especially next generation people about uh, really the pitfalls the promises and pitfalls well i think it's so interesting a couple i think it was 2 years ago there was a study for incoming college freshmen and the study was what is their greatest fear about entering college and the overwhelming response was talking to other people and so the pitfall of any tool is that it takes away from what we actually can do which is for example talk to another person so i know many young people who think of well why would you call someone when you can text them or on snapchat or different things and i feel that anything including meditation can become a way of avoiding the reality of intimacy and for me the key has always been to keep looking at where I'm turning things into poison that could also be turned back into medicine. So like social media can be an amazing place of connection and organizing and inspiration. And that can also be a place where, you know, there are studies about the amount of social media, you're, how much time you're spending on it can lead to depression, anxiety, and even suicidality. And so depending on you know it's always about checking like well how much am i living in accord with my own values and what is actually nourishing to me and for me i try to think about that every morning as i start the day and we end the evenings every night saying you know we have a traditional zen chant that at the end it says don't squander your life that we have just this little time and so to me, the beginning and ending each day with some kind of awareness of this is it. And how can I show up? How can I nourish myself so that I can nourish others? Yeah. How can I show up? Yeah. You know, we've talked about this already a couple of times with the spiritual bypass stuff. And, and I told you I did this thing with Ram Dass, and it was all around motivation and how it's all geared around the ego. I think it's a really 
important topic, uh, especially especially for you Buddhist guys, okay, and gals. Because <laughs> you tend to get, you have this crystalline thing of, of what's real, which I ascribe to, by the way, I, you know. And, uh, uh, but the, and this is something I should get into with Roshi Halifax, she would really ream me from this up. You know her, I'm sure. Of course. Uh, yeah, about getting attached to the doing of of the of meditative practice. In this case, we're talking about uh, to get into the really. I mean, we're not looking for power. We're not looking for control. We're not even maybe necessarily looking to get less unhappy right we we may be doing it for some of the more right reasons whatever that might be but there are super subtle attachments of mind related to states that are uh, become available through these practices and that's uh that's definitely a you know that's why in our th- yeah, and you know that through of course knowing ramdas and all our thing is that mixture of heart and we were taken to to the teachings, the Buddhist teachings of Vipassana. We were taken to the Tibetan teachings, and many of us have studied with different uh, Tibetan uh, lamas and, and had some really wonderful opportunities. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but even but that has its own little catch-all too, you know. Absolutely. People uh, of of uh, going through the heart and not using you know any kind of wisdom. A practice that becomes its own spiritual bypass. Right? Well, I think for me, it has been the great realization of that we're never done. And, you know, I've always loved that story of Ram Dasu after he had his stroke and when he was, you know, laying there on the gurney and like saying, uh oh. <laughs> and, the humility of that is to me such a joy and to like really understand that we're never done and there's no arrival has been central and for me you know each week when i meet with my teacher and she <laughs> you know she's 91 and a successor of peter matheson and an amazing woman and you know, still calling me out on subtle and not subtle things. It's been so wonderful to, and to me, it's like the ability to keep ourselves open to where we're getting caught and where I'm getting, you know, a little off center. And to me, the joy is really like noticing that moment by moment, we fall away and we can come back, fall away and come back. And that freshness is always available. Let's talk about zombies. Okay. So we we do have a lot of zombies at the movies streaming everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, through our devices. And we, as you say, we love a good apocalypse lick. Uh, but then don't go anywhere because they're, they're right here. The zombies are with us. They are us. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Hungry for connection, lost in our narratives. And thinking about the past, 
we've constructed about the past and the future look to our phones and computers for a morsel of false comfort or we convince ourselves that someone else's life will bring us contentment or authenticity i see the zombies everywhere even in my own mirror how do we wake up from zombie land good question yeah it's amazing because you know the zombies come from the west african and caribbean cultures and they originally the meaning of them were fatherless children and so it was like orphan children and so the the desire of an orphan child to get life and support from others and then of course it got turned into this kind of bizarre eating other people's brains thing and it really is like when we don't have that spark of life in ourselves and don't you know nourish the conditions that allow that spark to ignite we do look to other places and it's amazing just on my way here to the center today you know just seeing people walking down the street like you know they and they are uncontrollable and they're just like in another world and there's just something about you know my friend marie talks about we think that the, there's going to be these big ai machines and they're going to be marching around the end of the world but it's that at some point the robots are going to take over but you look around the streets and in people's homes or the other night i was at a restaurant and you could see a sea of lights in the, this beautiful restaurant and I walked around the restaurant just to see what people are up to. And everyone was on Facebook or Instagram. And this beautiful food is like this very nice restaurant with like farm to table organic food. And people are like this with a phone and just shoveling food in their mouth. And no one's speaking to each other. But everyone is like posting about what they're doing and their food and liking other things and nobody was actually there it was so amazing to witness unbelievable of course and we've all seen that right. over and over and more so and more so in every part of our life and certainly being out in public mm -hmm. and i even i mean and i'm talking okay koshin not just people shall we say who um are not potentially as aware as we might be having done some work over the over these years i'm talking about teachers that i know okay on their phones and all for righteous reasons of responding to need as well mm -hmm. so you know it's a tricky tricky thing it really it's very tricky and it's not about to me shame or blame but just to like notice like do i need to be doing this right now ah <laughs> taking yeah. a breath yeah before picking it up picking them just there there's this become this automatic you know just picking up the screen pick up the screen pick up the screen like as if like everything is an emergency like i've got to get back to them right now or mm. you know how do we allow for a little more breath yeah yeah i have a, a really good friend from google and we were together recently and i was doing just what you said i was 
picking up the thing and maybe I got to respond to this now. I don't know. She turned to me and went, can you please put that robot down? <laughs> I bet she's from Google. Okay. So I, I take that with the, oh yes, I will. <laughs> you know. Um, also we, I love this thing. I mean, and, uh, as uh, I may or may not have said, I've been doing a lot of investigation around us all being able to get real in the most practical ways possible and dissect what are the things that prevent. And as His Holy, His Holiness said about the book, they are, you know, you're unlocking some of these things, which is really great. And um, so one of the biggest deals, of course, is this. Uh, Krishnas calls it the movie of me. And so we've been working, uh, me and a friend of mine, Duncan Truss, we've been working on this uh, movie of me stuff and doing a lot of talk. And we're going to transcribe, maybe make a book out of it. But, um, you know, the story that we tell ourselves and believe it. Can, and so I love this story of yours going into the gym. There's some great stories in this book, by the way. I mean, that's what I like. I like a good story. You can't just come at me pedantically and say anything, okay? And uh, Koshin does that. Talk about the guy in the gym. You remember the story? The guy in the gym that every time you've never spoken to and um, you taught him to be a little pretend, you know. I had a whole story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... I've become a gym person, which is a big surprise to me. And in the gym, there was this guy who I always saw. And there's a whole crew of us who show up at the 7 a.m. time and are usually there for about an hour and a half. And I've been seeing this guy for about two years. And I just realized that I had a story about him. And I was sure that he was kind of pretentious and because he never said hello. And one day, I, he usually had his locker across from where I usually am. But this time, for some reason, his locker was right next to mine. And his arm was in a sling. And I said, oh, what happened? And he just turned to me and he had tears in his eyes and said, you know, my mother went into the hospital and just died. And then I got a compression fracture the same day in my collarbone. And he was just crying and crying. And I said, tell me about it. And we just sat on the bench and he told me about his mom. And he told me about his fracture and how painful it was and how painful his, the sudden death of his mother was. And suddenly I realized like what an asshole I had been. And it was so humbling just sitting there. And I was thinking to myself, I had put like a cone on top of this person and not even had a clue about who this person is. And he was actually incredibly sweet, incredibly sad. And just like a person. And it was just an amazing moment for me to realize like how we can be such a jerk in a way, even in a way that we're not even aware of. So like in Zen, we'd have a lot of focus on thoughts, words, and actions and to like really look at how, like I had these thoughts that had become kind of solidified 
around this person. And I realized, like, I wonder how much we do that all the time. Like people in our neighborhood, people who, you know, we see often at the grocery store, the bank, or all these ordinary places, and we make up stories. And then we think it's kind of true. And like, oh, that person's that, this person's <laughs> And it's just like us just, us just being kind of a jerk. Yeah, really. Oh, we have a, a, there's like a little commercial in the middle of a podcast. We have a great book that we just put out of Ramdas stories that he's told in his talks over the years, you know, famous stories and some rare stories. So there's this one, which is exactly this. He goes to a meditation retreat, right? And he's put in a room with another man and the other man, you're not supposed to talk anyhow, but not only doesn't talk, but never looks him in the eye, nothing goes about his business. <laughs> Ram Dass says, the whole time I thought, this guy's a jerk. He's not even <laughs> giving me the time of day. I don't know why. He must really hate me. <laughs> so, and then the retreat ended and they could speak. And the guy comes up to Ram Dass. I am so proud that I was able to be in a room with you, Ram Dass. This meant so much to me. And he gushed out all this love. And affection, and Ramdas did what you did. Oh, we should. <laughs> kind of asshole. <laughs> you didn't say that quite in the book because you don't talk like that. But still, he he exactly that. Boy, it's and how we do that all the time, all day long, walking around. Right. If it's not that, it's out of the desire systems, right? Oh, she's something, or he's something, or right, exactly. Oh God, why? Oh, patient going to die. It's a constant dialogue in your head all right so i think we have to do two things one we have to say okay we're human it's a, this is jack cornfield right it's okay we're human exactly you know, don't be attacking yourself you're just digging that ditch even you know larger and deeper um but then there is stuff to do to work with it is you know it is a, a um Taking it on, as we talked about a little bit earlier, everything is, you know, food for digesting and properly or improperly. And and the themes in the book, and you talk about the first one's paying attention. So, yeah, let's talk about paying attention um, and how important that is to really be able to have a, a and paying attention, not from thinking mind, because that's going to end you up in the same place, judging everything, including yourself, but maybe from a, a place that's more open and spacious and, and less judgmental. And uh, yeah, talk about that, especially in Zen tradition. Yeah. So paying attention, you know, there's a koan collection or like a teaching collection uh, that every teaching begins with attention with an, like a big exclamation point. And for me, it's about, well, actually, I'm thinking about someone I met yesterday. And this person was, wanted to do one of our training programs. And she said, well, the only thing is that I'm not that interesting. And I felt such sorrow. And I just leaned forward. And I'm like, how could that be possible? 
And she said, well, I'm just, I'm just like a regular person. And I said, you know, that just makes me feel a lot of sadness. And she began to cry. And I just felt the sadness in the room. And so for me, it was a moment of paying attention and to what is actually happening. And what was happening is that she was telling the same story about herself that she probably had been saying for many, many years. And then in a moment, she actually said, I've been saying that to myself for about 20 years, that I'm not that interesting. And to me, the only time that something is not interesting is when we're not paying attention. Because if we pay attention, we everything kind of pops. You know, even when we're looking at um, thinking about a person that I know who was in solitary confinement, and they were talking about how the cell became super interesting because they were paying attention and how the dust motes would kind of gather in one area and how interesting that was and how they didn't do such a good job with the painting and we're noticing like where the people got a little lazy. And, you know, just suddenly like for this person in the cell in solitary confinement, the place became very alive and they could feel the people who had worked in the room to create this room. And the joy is actually be able to notice that and that we're in and a live space if we just pay attention. And so that suddenly also the quality in which I am looking at you right now totally matters. And how I'm listening to you and how I'm noticing that hanging behind you and the blinds behind you and how I'm feeling sitting here and the space between us here wow, that matters too. And how do I stay engaged and participate? It's just, to me, it's one of the most extraordinary things that I know. And it's a focus of practice for me to be interested. And when I'm interested, then I'm paying attention. And I remember, I'll tell you just a quick story. It's like the story that I've always loved where this teacher who thought he was going to get the permission to teach from his teacher, from his Zen teacher, and he was going to see his teacher who he'd been studying with for 30 years, and it was raining. And so the guy came into the temple and put his shoes and his umbrella, took them off and put the umbrella down and went to meet with his teacher, made vows to his teacher. And his teacher just smiled and looked at him and said, which side of the door did you put your umbrella? And the guy was like, oh, I don't know. He's like, maybe 30 more years of practice. <laughs> That's great. Love that. Um, so uh, the second, uh, uh, we talked about attention, but, and you just said, you make that really um a significant part of your practice. Now, it might be good to give everybody an idea of how to approach cultivating attention through practice. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So one of the things that I do in the morning is like right when I wake up, this actually comes from the Jewish tradition, but it's a wake up and think about seven things that I feel grateful for. So like right literally, I'm still in bed and just consider what am I grateful for? And there's something that happens to me when I consider those things, seven things. I have to like really think, all right, what today am I grateful for? And then I start my day. Then I can go and feed the cats and (laughs) then, you know, make a little coffee and then sit zazen and, you know, say goodbye to Chodo and then head out into the day. And to me, there's that kind of attention that starts for, for me from gratitude and really thinking about, wow, I am me because of so many things. And I'm so dependent. And actually one of the other things, so actually I get right out of bed and I light some incense and offer it to our ancestors. And so I thank them and appreciating them. So I think there's something about gratitude and thanking that makes me allow myself to really consider, wow, like I suddenly then I walk into the living room or I walk into the kitchen and everything kind of pops more. Like, wow, thank you, kitchen. (laughs) Thank you. And it reminds me often of in December, Chodo, my husband had a total knee replacement, which is like this major deal. And for four weeks, he was in bed and getting physical therapy. And I remember three weeks in, suddenly he was in the kitchen with his walker, you know, and it felt like a miracle. And suddenly I saw him in the kitchen just standing there as I've seen him many times over the last 18 years. But I burst into tears because I realized like I really saw him in the kitchen. Like there he was. And it made me realize like, wow, there's some ways in which I put some blinders and some film on the lens of life where I'm not really appreciating what's actually happening. That takes us back a little bit to be here now, doesn't it? It all kind of folds back in there actually at some point or another. Um, Now, the other thing that we must get in here, of course, is uh, part of what our foundation, uh, it's part of what Neem Karoli, it's the thing that he passed on to us. What do we do? Love, serve, remember. So, uh, and you speak of this uh, very, very important um, action that we can take that's, and you're talking about the, the service, of course. And, and I like how you sum it up. Your life isn't only about you. <laughs> and that's kind of, a, I might be talking to myself that way a little bit. Okay. This isn't about anybody else. This is me. Okay. I'm going to, I'm modifying that as well. And, uh, 
but also taking Jack's advice. Oh, we're all human, and you know we're we do tend to think human. it's all about you, us. Um, but it, and the other, the wonderful thing, how you characterize this is that okay, so service. Most people think I got to go down to the soup kitchen today. Got to get my act together. But uh, as you say, I'm pointing more to service on an ordinary level. And this, to me, I'm glad you said this, Koshin. It's really important. How do you treat your neighbor, your sister, the lady sitting next to you at the coffee shop? What would life be if you were even just a little less interested in your own stories, problems, opinions, and so on? and more interested in what's going on with the people around you. That's service, start there, right? Totally. You know, it was so amazing. I remember, I don't know, 10 years into what I thought I was like really into spiritual practice. And I was on a what's called session, which means the mind and heart touching itself. And I thought I was really good at the forms, really good at meditation. And I was really, very self-preoccupied and how well I was doing. And, you know, as you were been pointing out, you know, Jack is like very human, you know, like <laughs> getting really into it. And then there's something that happened that shifted. I just realized like on Zen retreats, we kind of do everything all at the same time. So you bow at the same time, you eat at the same time, you do everything at the same time. And I realized that the power of that and the bell rang at the end of a meditation period and I realized, wow, how much I love that and how much I realized I was so self-preoccupied and not able to appreciate that, that how I took myself out of a relationship. And it was just like all happened within like less than a minute that I was not really, I was still, there was that part of me that was dragging the lone wolf in everywhere, even though it might not have looked like that, but I could really feel it. And, and it was so extraordinary because then I realized how the bank teller mattered and how, you know, now I actually know pretty much the names of all the people who work in all the stores that I frequent and depend on and the bank teller and my friend Patty who she works in the bank and I know about her kids and what's going on with her and, and how much each of those things matter and I was thinking about even the local coffee place where we know everyone's name and and they're like we love you and Chodo because so why do you love us and they said well you actually know us and you can just see, I tell a story too in the book, but this, I think it was Carol and who was, you know, the barista at the local place. And this person came in and was clicking on her phone and she had done a mobile order and why wasn't it ready? And it wasn't quite right. And she lost her shit at this barista while not even talking to her, but like looking at her phone and swiping and scrolling, yelling at this woman for getting it wrong, and then getting it back without looking at her, without saying thank you, and she left. 
And I said, well, how was that for you? And she's like, well, she doesn't know my life. So I don't take it personally. And the reality is, she said, she's not even in her life. And so the, the service and the tenderness also I learned from my friends in that coffee shop, you know, that they really understand like, wow, people are not really in their lives and that they are available to and serving freely. You know, they have to work because most of them have kids, but they, the way that they serve in a free way is so moving to me. And Jason, the guy who, sit, who lives outside of that coffee shop, you know, I learned so much from him. He has schizophrenia and he often tells me, you know, all about the people who walk by and give him change or don't give him change or who gives him a snack and who doesn't give him a snack. And he knows tons about all of them too and about their lives. And he's like this figure, kind of like a mayor of the, <laughs> of the street. And, and I said, well, why is this so important to you? And he said, well, because everyone matters. And the service that he, I mean, it's so moving to me about how he models service to me and how I always learn from him about what it means to serve. It means just to look someone in the eye. It means to say good morning. Yeah, someone said the greatest um, offering that you can make another person, the greatest generosity is paying attention to them. Right? And that's what this is all about. And that's the beginning of service. And you don't have to go to the soup kitchen, everybody, right away. You can do that, of course, but just start with the person that's next to you. And that's why the attention thing is so very very powerful really see and with a you know and trying not to judge although we will do that too but uh yeah these the, by the way every these practices take a lifetime and i've been doing it at least one for, yeah at least one to get well <laughs> i'm trying to just get to that where you do pay attention and you, that generosity is natural <laughs> naturally flowing that's not we're not talking about enlightenment that is enlightenment actually i mean when you really think about it um so there's a great i know i know you were really um your grandmother meant a lot to you and and uh this is a uh, we're getting near the end but you got to tell this story because it's so wonderful it's when you were taking care of her in hospice and she was actively dying and just you know your relationship with her vis-a-vis -vis you being a, uh, a buddhist monk Tell that story and what happened through her passing. Yeah, well, many things happened with her and with my grandma Mimi. And really learning how to commit to someone in terms of service was a, one of the greatest teaching. And just to be, no matter what, that was the priority to be together. And I never had felt so loved by anyone in my life. And, and yet there was always a tension between us around my Zen practice, actually. And she was, you know, comes from Holocaust survivors. And, you know, as many people in that tradition face, it was just like they had a Jewish identity that was very strong 
but they didn't really practice. It was not a spiritual tradition, but an identity and a heritage and a tribe. And so there was always a tension with that. And then about two weeks before she died, we were sleeping together in the hospice and she woke me up and she said, you know, wake up, wake up. And I woke up and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I said, what are you sorry for grandma? And she said, I didn't know how to love you. And she's like, in fact, in 87 years, I don't think I really even understood what it meant to truly love someone. And to love someone is to love everything about them, including the things you don't understand. And she said, and I could feel this little part of my heart that contracted away from you because of your practice, because of the Zen, she said. And she said, I'm so ashamed about it. And I'm so grateful to release it and to love you completely. Wow, so, 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 so beautiful. Wow, that's really beautiful. Yeah, it was one of the greatest teachings I've received. Mm. What is the thing about ancestor? Actually, I'm just started thinking about that because you talked about it before. I don't. I've never really gotten the importance. I've heard. Uh, you know, I've done. Um, actually, I have a friend, John Lockley, who's a South African shaman, and uh, that is one of the core pieces of his tradition and uh what what is it to you how how is that relevant to us i I, this just came to me because i actually had a just being on maui had a healing session with someone who said to me that uh, she felt my father really there for me i'm going through this transition it's it's with plenty of complexities and difficulties and I'm like, yeah, well, wait a minute. Now he, you know, I'm considering that he had good karmas. He met Neem Karoli Baba himself. Uh, um, that he's probably on to his next incarnation. So what are we talking about? You know, it was a very mindy kind of uh, interpretation of, but what's yours? What, what does it mean to you, the ancestor thing? I feel like incredible gratitude for all the people that I know and don't know that brought that I'm alive because of all of them. And I think I didn't really understand it until understanding lineage through my Zen tradition. And there's this enormous emphasis on tradition and lineage. And, you know, on retreat, we recite all the names from who gave transmission to who for all like 91 generations from the historical Buddha to now. And so there's this great emphasis. And then I remember in my twenties reading the story about this old Zen teacher, wonderful Zen teacher named Yunmen, who at the end of his life traveled by foot hundreds of miles to offer incense at the grave of the sixth Zen ancestor. And he just wanted to do that to thank him for his life of service before he died. And this is somebody who had lived, you know, I think 
200 years before him. And so for me, it's like thinking about my great grandpa Ike, who, you know, organized and housed and fed immigrants from Europe. And I think about the traditions that I think are me, and they actually, I turn, it turns out from what I hear, I'm quite like my great grandfather. And so there's this amazing non-self, like, well, maybe it's not me, but it's the amalgamation of, you know, 40,000 years, 100,000 years of DNA and heritage and tradition. And to me, it's very humbling and a way of, you know, rooting down and widening out a bit more. So ancestry realizes like, oh, like I have no idea really what makes me me. And I'm so grateful for all those people who live their lives so that I can live mine. It's just another way of gratitude. Right. That's great. Ocean. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Raghu. Uh, okay. And there's one thing. How do we change our life in the book? Okay. And we've been talking about this. To me, this sums up uh, the most important uh, essence here that I picked up. And the answer is one, and you say is your uh, favorite instruction from kindergarten, right? Uh, stop, look, and listen to whatever's in front of you. Just uh, we show up. A great word, show up. For instance, uh, if I'm talking to somebody else, I stop, look, and listen. Some, And then I'm really seeing the quality of a person's face, the way their shoulders are placed, how they're sitting. I'm getting curious. And now everything becomes more alive, as we talked about before. To sit with things, you say, and really let them enter. To me, this is one of the most magnificent generosities. And, uh, that's it. You know, and we just, it, and it's that thing around service. We just need to enact that, pay attention, enact that generosity, and that's a, a service. And you want to know why you're here on earth? Well, okay, start there. That's exactly. Okay. Start there. Wonderful book, Wholehearted from Kosh and, and uh, you at this point, uh, everybody who go to a Be Here Now Network dot com slash mind rolling you'll see the show notes page and you'll have links to get the book and links to a uh, caution and his, uh, and if you're in new york i know you can get with the center and do some of the things and be part of some of the things that they do aside from the practices the service and so on and um always always a pleasure a joy to be with you always always so everybody, we'll see you again next week on Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. Thank Namaste. you, Raghu. Namaste.